Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For the first 40 years of Moses' life as a prince in Egypt, as a uh, a war commander, Moses thought that he was everything. It says in the Bible that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. See, Moses really thought himself, Moses thought he was everything. He really didn't think that he needed God. I mean, if Moses had a desire to do something, then Moses did it. And so Moses said, you know, there's no need for God, Moses thought. The only helping hand that I need is at the end of my arm. That's what he thought. And that way, Moses was a type of Israel. Today, when you go into the malls across America and you encounter young Israelis who have come over to sell things in these malls and you start to talk with them and you begin to, maybe you start to talk to them about God and then we become shocked because most of them tell without any hesitation, oh, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. I am an atheist. Yeah. And if they're not atheists, it's very clear that most of them feel no need for God at all. And they feel that they can just make their own life without the need for God, thank you very much. And that's like Moses in the first 40 years of his life. And that's why I say Moses is a type of Israel because for the first 40 years of Moses' life, Moses thought that he didn't need God, he was everything. He could do things by himself. And so in that way, Moses is a type of the Jewish people today, of Israel today, able to do whatever they want to do without any need for God. But when Moses was discovered as a murderer in Egypt and Moses was hunted, being hunted down for his life, Moses became a broken man. And so Egypt was too much for Moses, and Moses had to run for his life. And so in that experience, Moses was broken. He was a broken man. And in the breaking of Moses, he fled from Egypt. And so in that state there where Moses was broken, Moses is a type of Israel, of the Jewish people in the future, where God says in Leviticus 26, 19, I will break the pride of your power. That's what he says in Leviticus 26, 19. And I will break the pride of your power. God loved Moses too much for him to go on with the pride of his power, his power, his learning, his ability. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Moses was strong. Moses was proud of his strength. Moses was educated. Moses was proud of his education. Moses had ability. Moses was proud of his ability. All of that was the pride of his power, of Moses' power. And God broke the pride of Moses' power when he, ran, when he was in that state of running out of Egypt for his life. 
Well, in the same way, God loves the Jewish people too much to let them go on in the state of the pride of their power. So he promises in Leviticus 26, 19, that he says, I will break the pride of your power, the pride of your power. That's, that's where they take pride in their own power, you know. Israel says, we are the technologically most advanced, you know, 10 times more technologically advanced than the U.S. We fix their Patriot missile systems and make them better with our Iron Dome and so forth. We have hidden technology and, well, on and on. And when anyone takes pride in his own power, he has a very high impression of himself. And this is a very bad thing because God says this cannot continue and he says I will break the pride of your power. And so when Israel, for example, was in danger of being absolutely annihilated by the Midianites, God called a man, Gideon, to save them. And there was a very great army of the Midianites who were assembled to wipe the Jewish people out, to kill them. And Gideon had in his army 32,000 soldiers. He had 32,000 soldiers. And so God started a process with Gideon to whittle down, to reduce the number of soldiers. So God told Gideon to, and if anybody's afraid here, that you just go home. So Gideon put out the call. If anybody's afraid, go home. So to his shock, 22,000 of his soldiers went home. And now he's left with just, 10,000 men. And then when God told Gideon, they had too many. He had too many with the 10,000. So he says, okay, bring them to a place here, drink water, where they could drink water. And he says, I'm gonna try them. And then the trial was that God told Gideon to watch for the men who drank water, putting their hand down and cupping it up, you know, for a drink, which most of them did. And then he said, and then look for the men who drink water like a dog. He says, drink water like a dog, because he says, I want the men who drink water like a dog. He said, like a dog. So the 10,000, 9,700 men cupped water in their hands to drink, and 300 men lapped water like a dog. And that was the description he used in Judges 7, 5, the one who drinks water like a dog. And so that God said, now those are the ones that I want, just 300 men, <laughs> the ones that are like dogs drinking water. And so why did God go through all of that process with Gideon, of taking Gideon's army and just whittling them down to 300 that he calls drink water like a dog? Because of what God said in Judges 7-2. And here's what he said. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, mine own hand hath saved me. See, God said that he did not want for the Jewish people to vaunt themselves against him. Vaunt themselves meant to brag about themselves, meant to, meant to take pride in their power, the pride of their power. He said vaunt themselves means they would put on display with their own pride and say, look what I did, look what my hand did. And so it says that, that's why God said, if they do that, it's gonna be against me, because he said, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me. And so pride is always against God. You know, this town is too small for two of us. Either it's gonna be me, myself, and I, or it's gonna be God, one or the other. And so God wanted to make it impossible 
for Israel to say that they saved themselves with just 300 men, that their own hand did it, especially when we look at the whole history there with the lamps and the breaking of the pots and so forth. So God did that so that it would be crystal clear that it was God who saved them and not them and not themselves. He was breaking the pride of their power. So just as Moses was broken in Egypt, so the Jewish people will also be broken on the hills of Israel where it talks about in the future when all nations come against Israel, and that's not very far away, but it says in Zechariah 14:2, when this is really a description of God from Leviticus 26, of God breaking the pride of their power. And notice what it says in Zechariah 14:2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. This is God's doing. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished or raped, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. And then he describes further in, in Zechariah 13, eight through nine, I mean, when we read these verses in Zechariah, we're, we're reading newspapers of the future and not too far away in, in Zechariah 13, nine. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts or two thirds shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. This is a Holocaust which is twice as bad as the time of the Nazis. The Nazis killed one-third of the Jewish people. This will kill two-thirds of the Jewish people. And then God goes on in verse nine and says, and I will bring the third part, that'd be the surviving part, I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is refined. It's no secret to us to know how you refine gold and how you refine silver. Heat, intense heat. And then it says, they shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, it's my people and they shall say, the Lord is my God. Can you imagine that scene? when the Lord Jesus Christ himself looked at the Jewish people who have turned to them with all of their heart, sought them with all their heart, like he said, and found them, and then he says, that's my people, and when they look at the Lord Jesus Christ and they say, the Lord is my God, that's something. But the ultimate breaking comes for Israel after the Lord fights for them and saves them, and it says that in Zechariah 14, three, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. So then the surviving Jewish people, the one third, they come closer to see their God. They wanna know who it is that saved them. They'd like to know everything they can. And then it says one notices something very, very strange about him. And that's recorded in Zechariah 13, six. And one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hand? What, these wounds in thy hand, what? Then he shall answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Then the Jewish people are totally broken when they realize that those wounds are the wounds of the Lord Jesus Christ that he received when the Roman soldiers put the nails through his hands. He's still got those wounds. He has just defeated the armies of the world. They have not touched him. They have done no wounding to him. But when this one person, this one Jewish man gets close, he says, what's those wounds? What's the wounds on your hand? And then he says, those are the wounds that I received in the house of my friends. And then there's such a brokenness. There's such a brokenness because they realized we killed our Messiah. 
The Jewish people killed the Messiah on the cross, and that starts the greatest mourning of, oh no, what have we done that has ever been recorded? And that's Zechariah 10, 12 through 10 through, Zechariah 12, 10 through 12, where it says, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. See, it's gonna be no more, we understand the Romans killed them, but it's that they will take full responsibility when they say they look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadad Riban in the valley of Megiddo, and the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, etc. This is gonna be such a tremendous heart pain, tsuros, heart pain, that each family is going to say, I can't mourn with you. I've got to go cry my head off, scream. I've gotta be totally alone. And the husband says that, the wife says that. Everybody goes apart. And that's the time of their breaking, just like with Moses when he fled from Egypt. And so when God called Moses, then Moses as a broken man said, who am I? And the Jewish people will have the same opinion of themselves when they realize that the Lord Jesus Christ is their God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, their saving God, and they despised him, and they rejected him, and they nailed him to a cross effectively through the Romans. That's where we are right now in the life of Moses. After the first 40 years of Moses' life, Moses learned that he was everything. And after the second year, 40 years, which was where we are right now in Moses' life, Moses learned that he was nothing. And that's why he's replying, who am I? And now starts the next last 40 years of Moses' life in which Moses will finish and he will discover that God is everything. First 40 years, end of first 40 years, Moses everything. End of second 40 years, Moses nothing. End of last 40 years, God is everything. Now, that pattern, I'm everything, I'm nothing, God is everything, that's true of every person who becomes a child of God. Any person who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who becomes a child of God, he learns First of all, he thinks that he's everything, that he learns he's nothing, and then he starts the great discovery from the time that he receives the Lord Jesus Christ as a savior, that God is everything. And that pattern is true for the Jewish people. And like Moses, they still think that they're everything, but the time is coming when God will break the pride of their power, and they'll learn like Moses did, that they are nothing, and they'll follow Moses to find that God is everything, and they'll get cleansed. And that's why Zechariah 13, one, so wonderful, it says, in that day shall there be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And then they'll find out that their greatness as Jewish people is not in themselves, but is in their God. When they oh, and all the world will then look to the Jewish people to bring them God. As it says in Zechariah 8.23, thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that 10 men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So what we have here in verse 11 of Exodus 3 is Moses 
saying, he's arguing with God. Really, he's arguing with God. He says, who am I? He says, you got the wrong man. I should go to Pharaoh. I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. I don't think so. And we will look at Exodus chapter three up to this point. God, you know, first it starts off in Exodus in this chapter, really where God calls to Moses in verse four, and Moses says literally, here am I. He said, behold me. He said, here I am. And then the last thing, that was the last thing that Moses said, for six verses, only God is speaking. And so now when we come in verse 11, it's the first time Moses can speak. And he says, who, me? I think you've got the wrong person. So we can see what we've been talking about here, that after 40 years of being a shepherd on the backside of a desert, being a servant in the home of a idolatrous priest of Midian, that it's safe to say that Moses, when he says, who am I, has a very low self-esteem. Now that's a problem that today is a common psychological diagnosis, low self-esteem. Moses said in verse 11, who am I? Moses says a low self-esteem. And the way to fix the problem of a low self-esteem today, common thought, is to raise a person's self-esteem. You know, it reminds me of my mother. When I was growing up, she was always trying to raise my self-esteem. And so she was always used to say to me when I was growing up, Tommy, you can do anything, she used to say. And I remember the time when she called the food giant, it was called food giant store in Beverly Hills to get me a job as a box boy. I was standing right next to her on the phone and she's talking to the manager on the phone and she said, oh, my son Tommy, he's six feet tall. And I said to her mom, I'm five foot nine inches. <laughs> you know, she says to me, he's very strong. I said, mom, I can't even lift my bike. You know, She says, he's very smart. I said, mom, I'm practically failing seventh grade. Great, you know, raising self-esteem. But when Moses said in verse 11, who am I? Moses has a classic case of low self-esteem. And so if Moses would have gone to a therapist today, the therapist would have told Moses, Moses, your problem is that you have a very low self-esteem. Moses, we'll fix it. We're gonna raise your self-esteem. We're gonna build you up. And the therapist would say to Moses, now Moses, don't be so down on yourself. You're not as bad as you think you are. Moses, look at yourself. You're really very intelligent. You're highly educated. You're tall, you're handsome, you're authoritative, you're strong, you're sincere. And that's how the therapist would see Moses' problem as low self-esteem. And that's how he would go about to fix it. But verse 12 is how God saw the problem and how God went about to fix the problem with Moses. See, God's diagnosis and his repair for Moses is simply stated in verse 12. And he said, certainly I will be with thee. That was it. He says, so in other words, God's solution to Moses' problem was just the promise, I will be with thee. See, God did not try to repair or build up Moses' low self-esteem. God didn't say to Moses, you're not as bad as you think you are. As a matter of fact, God would have said to Moses the words of Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So actually, Moses would have said to God, Moses, you're not as bad as you think you are. You're worse than you think you are. The problem is that your heart is deceitful above all things. The problem is that your heart is not just wicked, it's desperately wicked. Moses, your heart is so deceitful and so wicked that it's impossible for you to even know it. 
Only I can know your heart. Only I can search your heart, Moses, and know what's in it, and take it from me, Moses, as the one who knows it's a lot worse than you think. Now, that's what God would say. The problem is not that you are not as bad as you think, Moses. You're worse than you think. So when Moses said, in essence, to God that he was nothing, God did not try to correct Moses. He agreed with them. God was saying to Moses, you're right. And you don't need, therefore, to rely on yourself, Moses. You need me, and I'm giving you the greatest solution to your problem in a promise that you could possibly have, and that is certainly I will be with thee. You know, Paul, he had a correct estimation of himself when he said about himself in Romans 7, 18, for I know, this was a certainty with Paul, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. So that was a correct self-estimation. In me dwells no good thing. And Paul used, but Paul then, he went on in other places and he used the same word, dwelleth, to describe the solution to the problem. And he says in Romans 8, 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, the dwell in you, the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. What Moses, what did God say? I will dwell in you. Certainly I will be with thee. In Philippians 4.13, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Where was Christ? Dwelling in him, the spirit of Christ. In Colossians 1.27, Paul made this clear when he said, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that's what God was promising to Moses, that he would dwell in Moses, that he certainly I will be with thee. He will dwell. And this is the start of Moses discovering the greatest secret to victory in his life, the greatest key for his ability to be able to do all the impossible that God was calling him to do, to go to Pharaoh and to deliver his people. And so I will be with thee. Well, but unfortunately, Moses didn't get it at first, but he finally gets it anyways. But he didn't get it at first. And so when he said to God, who am I? I'm nothing. God said to Moses, no argument, Moses. No argument. You're right. Because the question is not who you are. The question is who God is. And that's what Moses was going to learn, who God is. And that was the key And Moses, therefore, and this is the key for all the problems of low self-esteem and introspection that all leads to depression. How can it lead to anything else but depression because there's no good thing dwelling in us? And the key is, Moses, take your eyes off yourself. And your eyes are on yourself when you look at yourself and you say, who am I? Take your eyes off yourself and put your eyes on God. And that's the solution for Moses, as he says, certainly I'll be with thee. And that's the solution for all of us as we are tempted to become introspective, look within ourselves, try to find some good thing in us when Paul told us, I know that in me dwells no good thing, and to take our eyes off ourselves and to look to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are so wonderful because when you say, certainly I will be with you, when you say that you give us your Holy Spirit to dwell in us, when you say that I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, this is so wonderful for us, Lord. And so help us to not fall into the trap, not fall into the pit 
of introspection and looking within ourselves and coming up and saying, we're nothing, but Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you and to realize our sufficiency is of God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. 